Um, I'm Danielle, by the way. Uh, if you have not met me, I'm one of the pastors here at Grace. And today we're going to be in the entire book of Philemon. The entire book. When this message is over, you will have studied an entire book of scripture. When can you ever say that? Now, um, I grew up saying Philemon. You may have grown up saying Philemon. Okay, it's tomato, tomato. We're both wrong. It's Greek. Okay, we don't know. So we're just saying what we say. Um, And if you want to get really technical, it's not a book. It's a letter. It is um, the only letter to an individual that we have. Paul wrote a lot of letters. um, And this is the one to an individual that we have in our scripture. So let me give you a little background. If you brought an actual Bible, you should probably start looking for Philemon now because it is one page. Um, Table of contents is your friend. So let me give you a little background before we read. We basically know a couple of things, three things, about the man named Philemon. Number one, Philemon became a follower of Christ because of the Apostle Paul. Paul led him to Christ at some point before this letter was written. Um, Number two, Philemon became a leader in the early church. Um, And he actually hosted one of the early churches in his home. Now, a lot of people think that that house church of Philemon's was in Colossae, and it it was what Paul wrote the book of Colossians. We call it the letter to the Colossians. Okay, Um, so most people think that's the same place. Okay, and the third thing that we know about Philemon is that at some point in the past, um, and we don't have the timeline, Philemon had a slave named Onesimus. And that slave stole from Philemon and ran away. Okay, those are basically the three things that we know about Philemon. Um, Well, as luck would have it, um, or God would have it, because what is luck, right? So um, as God would have it, this man, Onesimus, uh, runs away from Philemon, steals from him, and he ends up in Rome. And he just so happens to meet this guy in Rome named Paul. And um, small world, right? (laughs) Um, I imagine their conversation going like this. Paul's like, Hey, man, uh, what's your name? My name is Paul. And he's like, oh, I'm, I'm an Isthmus. Oh, yeah, where are you from? I'm from Colossae, this just little place called Col- What? I know a guy in Colossae. That's so great. Like, small world. So crazy. Um, I'm actually a follower of Jesus. I'll tell you about him. But um, I know this guy named Philemon. Do you, do you know that guy by any chance? And then, like, all the blood drains out of Anisimus' face. And he's like, I, I, I know him a little. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know him a little. Uh-huh. Um, granted, that whole conversation was in Greek that I just said. But that's how, like, I picture it in my head, okay? And so crazy thing is, however this introduction happened and they met, Paul ends up bringing Onesimus to Jesus. So Onesimus becomes a Christian under the leadership of Paul. Um, However, though, now Philemon is a follower of Jesus under Paul, and Onesimus is a follower of Jesus under Paul. The two of these men have not seen each other, have not 
uh, interacted since the whole stealing and running away episode, okay? So um, we're going to see Paul very convicted in this situation that um, their relationship needs to be mended. It needs to be reconciled. So Paul writes this letter that we're about to read, and he sends it via Onesimus's hand. <laughs> he sends it with Onesimus to Philemon's house to deliver. Okay? It's gutsy. Because legally, if your slave ran away and stole from you in the process, a master could punish him in all manner of ways. Um, so, you know, Philemon opens the door and Onesimus is like, read the letter, read the letter, please. I know Paul. I met Paul. I love Jesus. <laughs> you know, um, so that's where we're at. Now, in this letter, we're going to see something that I call sandwiching. Okay. Um, it's the fine art of asking for something with flattery and praise on either side. Okay, uh, for example, you have a 17-year-old, and they walk into the kitchen, and they say, Dad, you look nice today. Is that a new shirt? Also, can I borrow the car tonight? I love you. Okay, <laughs> sandwiching. Okay, sandwiching. That's what we're going to see. Okay, um, now, I don't believe that it's, it's insincere. I don't believe it's like manipulative, okay? I, I really believe that Paul is just very boldly trying to convince Philemon of what he needs him to do, okay? Um, so that's where we're at. And one more thing, when Paul is writing this letter, he is in prison. It's surprise, surprise. I mean, <laughs> Paul's in prison a lot. Okay, so here we go. Um, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. Also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers. Because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. So Paul's like, dear Philemon, you're killing it, man. You're rocking it. Your, your ministry, your faithfulness in Christ, your love for all of God's people. You see that? For all of God's people. You're such an encouragement to the church. I love working with you. Paul's like, you really have the knowledge of like what it looks like to follow Jesus every day. So with all that said, I have a request. Therefore, Although in Christ, I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. 
<laughs> Paul's like, listen, you don't have to do what I'm about to say. I mean, I am your elder in the church, but it's me. It's just Paul, man. It's just Paul. I'm just an old man in prison for Jesus. <clears throat> so then he says, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I'm going to leave that up there for a second because a little about slaves in this time period. Um, it's estimated that in the Roman Empire, one-third of the population were considered slaves. One-third. And they would be hired to do all kinds of things. Um, construction work, landscaping, making clothes, uh, watching after children, fetching water, keeping up the house, all kinds of things. And affluent people would essentially own them. Now, a slave in the society was basically considered a, a lesser person. And the goal was that, that your slave would be beneficial to you, right? They would be profitable to you. They would be useful to making your life easier. So in fact, the name Onesimus probably wasn't even this guy's real name. The name Onesimus was a very common name that people would give to their slaves because it meant in the Greek, profitable. It meant useful, okay? So Paul is playing on words here. He's saying, look, man, like, I get he was useless. Okay, I'm not disagreeing with you. Like, he was useless. He did not match his name. We, we both agree. But this is what I'm telling you. I'm telling you that he has become useful in a whole different way. He has become useful. He is now fitting with his name, okay? So Paul says, I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I do not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced, it would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. Uh, so what Paul is asking for is one of two things, okay? Uh, either Philemon, you, you keep Onesimus, okay? You keep him with you at your house, and he, he becomes a part of helping your house church again, and he, he is useful in your ministry with you, okay? Or you send him back to me. And he can serve with me, okay? One of those two things. Paul's like, you decide, because I don't want to be the guy that took your runaway slave in this crazy happenstance without your permission, okay? Because under the law, legally, he belongs to you. Now, again, legally in this day, if a slave ran away um, or rebelled against their master, um, under the law, the master could punish that slave in, in a realm of ways from slapping them on the wrist to death. And they, they could do a whole lot of things, okay? Uh, we don't know what kind of master Philemon was to Onesimus. Um, 
what, what we do know now is that Philemon is a believer in Jesus. Okay? So the hope is that he's not looking at Onesimus anymore through the lens of what is legal. He's looking at Onesimus through the lens of Jesus. Okay? So this is how Paul is calling Philemon to see Onesimus, okay? This is the lens he wants him to see him through. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. Meaning, I want you to look at Onesimus as your equal, Okay? You're both humans. You're both believers, which means you're brothers. You're brothers in the family of Christ. Now, Paul has gotten a whole lot of criticism. Not that he cares um, or knows. Um, but he's gotten a lot of criticism since this um, about this letter. And in fact, during the slave trade in this country... In the 1800s, slave owners and government officials would try to push laws um, for slavery, and they would reference this letter, and they would say, Paul's an advocate for slavery. Paul's an advocate for it. I mean, I mean, look, look at what he says. He says, I'm sending your slave back to you. Either you keep him or you send him back, and I'll take him. Advocate, advocate for slavery. They would say. Is that what Paul is doing? Is Paul a proponent of slavery? I want you to think about, I want you to think about in your mind, what to you is the sin of slavery? Like what is the core, core sin that makes slavery awful? Uh, like I said, the jobs of slaves varied. I mean, it was from, from house cleaning to construction to manufacturing all, of, all kinds of goods um, to childcare. I mean, goodness, if those were the job descriptions of slaves, do we still have slaves? <laughs> do we have slaves today? So what is the sin of slavery? The sin of slavery is to deny the humanness. It's to deny the equality, the human dignity of that other person that's made in the image and the likeness of God. The, the sin of slavery is to say, you are human, yeah, but you're, you're less. You're less human. I'm going to afford more dignity to myself than, than to you. It's to say to a person, well, you may be living and breathing, but you're really just useful to me. You're just profitable to me. You're just a, a useful tool to help me in life. The sin of slavery is to put a wall, this wall of partiality between you and another person and to say, no, 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 we are not on equal ground here. So let's read it again. Oh, how do I go back? Okay, let's read it again. Okay, how does Paul tell Philemon to treat Onesimus? No longer as a slave, better than a slave, as a dear brother. 
He is very dear to me, but even dear to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. What would it do to the institution of slavery if all the masters started treating their slaves as equals? So is Paul an advocate for slavery? Because this is what I see. There are roughly 60 million slaves, slaves in the Roman Empire when this was written. Paul could have come out and he could have said, ban slavery. Rome wasn't going to do that. Rome was never going to do that. Okay, and there was a lot wrong with the Roman government, as there is with all of them. Okay, there was a lot wrong, as you can imagine. And honestly, Paul had bigger fish to fry. He was like, guys, I'm just trying to tell people about this man that is from God that was raised from the dead. Okay, I don't have time to like get into all of the things. Okay, Um, but so no, we don't see Paul uh, challenging this major cultural system of the day that is masters and slaves. We don't see him doing that. This is what we do see Paul do. We see Paul in his personal relationships redefining what those terms mean. In fact, um, Twice in other letters, in Ephesians and in Colossians, Paul writes a whole entire section about slaves and masters and how they should treat each other. He says to to the slaves, he says, slaves, obey your masters with respect and authority, serving them as you would serve the Lord. And then Paul says, and masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Since you know the one who is both their master and yours in heaven. Paul's like, hey, slaves and masters, uh, respect and serve each other as to the Lord, because you're actually both serving him. You're both working for him. Paul um, does this also with the marital relationship in Ephesians 5 and in Colossians 3. And again, Um, He's gotten a lot of criticism for his words, Uh, like he's pushing for male chauvinism or he's pushing for the oppression of women. Mm, During this point in history, yes, wives, like slaves, were often looked at as property by the government and many others. And no, Paul didn't try to shift the entire Roman Empire to his view of how gender roles should look like in the home. However, what he did do was write his churches and preach to his people and say, dear wives, respect your husband. Treat treat him with deep respect. And husbands, love your wife deeply, sacrificially, as Jesus did the church. Dear both of you, he says, be mutually submissive to one another. Serve one another, both of you, which was a radical idea, a radical idea in the face of the norms of their day. 
Paul is not trying to throw out the terms slave and master. He's not like, we're just going to get rid of those. We're, I'm done with those. I don't want anyone to say slave or master anymore. I just, that, those have negative connotations. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that, and he doesn't do it with husband and wife. That would be, because the Roman Empire structurally is, is built on these things. What he is attempting to do with Philemon and in many of his letters that we have is to redefine what that relationship should look like, really, not through the lens of the world, through the lens of being a follower of Jesus. Because Jesus brought freedom to relationships. So that's what he's pushing for. Paul's like, hey, Philemon, call Onesimus your slave. Call him your slave. Call him what you want to call him. If you treat him like a brother, if you treat him like an equal, then the, the word is lost. It's mean, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what word you use because that hierarchy is gone. That hierarchy of, of I'm above you, it's gone. It doesn't matter. In the slave-master relationship and in the marital relationship that Paul was trying to teach, he's pushing that to look at one another as equals and to appreciate the parts of each person for who they are and who I am. When a relationship is like that, the terms are, are irrelevant because the hierarchy has disappeared. Because the relationship just becomes about human to human and how to love each other well under the authority of Jesus, who is the, the king. Okay, so you know, Jesus, Jesus was actually really obviously good at this as well. <laughs> he was really good at taking their laws that they threw at him and redefining them and giving them a new perspective right? Um, so we see this woman in the gospel of John, John chapter 8, and the religious leaders have caught her in adultery. And they have pulled her out into the street, specifically in front of Jesus, and they say, what should we do with this woman? Because the law says we can stone her. Well, Jesus doesn't try to fight the whole system of stoning that day. We don't see him do that. What we do see him do is we see him redefine their relationship to this woman. He's like, you're, you're asking the wrong question, okay? You're focusing on the wrong things here. And he makes them look at her in a different way. He says, okay, you're right. It is, it is one of your laws. Okay, fair enough. Um, whoever hasn't sinned, in any way, um, they, can, they can throw first. And in that, that human-to-human -human relationship came out. Jesus had squashed the hierarchy in that moment because they had to face the fact that they're really no different than her because we all have sinned and we all fall short. So then she, she became a person to them, not just useful for their agenda that day. Philemon is a very political letter. 
And Paul is balancing between respecting the authority of the day, respecting the government that has been in place, okay? Um, Respecting that, and also at the same time, transforming the terms into the relationship that followers of Jesus are called to have with the world. Philemon, uh, though we don't know how he responded, we don't, it's a cliffhanger. We have no idea how Philemon responded to this, okay? What he could have said is, but it's legal. It's legal, Paul. I'm allowed. I'm allowed to treat him in this way. I'm allowed to do these things. I mean, we could say that in this country about things, right? The culture says I can. I mean, I'm allowed to do it. Legally, it's okay. But Paul's not talking about what's legal. He's not talking about any of that. He's saying, Philemon, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you about your relationship with this person and what it's supposed to look like. It's not about what is, what is legal. It's about how to live out Jesus' mission and how to love each individual person well. That's, that's way harder than just to follow the law. That's far more demanding, actually. But that's what we're called to. I would say something similar to all of us, myself included. You know, our primary job as believers of Jesus is to focus on the people that we are in relationship with. Right here, right, right here in front of us. You know, our, um, the people who work for us, if we have people that work for us, that work um, technically under us, that we oversee, are we being fair? Are we being fair to them? Are we being loving to them? Are we not looking at them as they're just useful? Are we treating them as, as humans? Are we looking at them as equals? Um, or the people who uh, we work for, the people who we are called to submit to, our husbands, our wives, are we seeking to give them respect, to look for ways to be submissive to them and vice versa, to give them our best selves? As to the Lord, it says. Or those people um, in our lives who they just need to confide in us. And they might be right in front of us. They need to confide in us. They need a listening ear that is not judgmental. They need that. Are, are we there for them to say, hey, we're, we're humans here. I get it. I'm a mess too. It's in those relationships, those one-on-one relationships that all these hierarchies that we build in life, that those are broken. They're, they're broken down. And we live in this equality, this unity of the body, appreciating things in each other. And we find freedom in that. There is freedom in Christ. That's the point. It is for freedom that I came, he says. Okay, I got to finish this, or we're not going to finish this. Okay, I told you we finished the whole book. Okay, um, letter. We'll finish the whole letter. Okay, so we've had the flattery part of the sandwich, this piece of bread. We've had the request, and we have the other part of the sandwich, okay? That's where we're at here, okay? So Paul says, so if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. 
If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, which he had, that's very nice that Paul's saying that. He has, okay, but if he has, charge it to me, he says. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. Okay. <laughs> Paul's like, I'm in prison. I'm making no money. But I will pay it back. Also, let me remind you, um, I brought you to Jesus. But I'll pay, it, I'll pay it back. I will. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. This is, I love this, confident of your obedience. I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. Oh, and one more thing. Prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. He's like, also, I'm going to know because I'm going to show up. (laughs) I will be visiting and seeing how this is going, okay? Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. So do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, uh, gospel writer Luke, and my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. (laughs) The end. So Paul would um, write to the church of Colossae as well. So when you read Colossians, you can go, oh, Philemon heard this letter. This, is, this was to all of them. Um, Paul would write to the church of Colossae, and he would say, guys, there is no Gentile or Jew. There's no barbarian or Sith or slave or free. Christ is over all. All of that has, has been squashed in the name of Jesus. All of it. You know, Christianity has always been, and I think it will always be um, until Jesus comes, it's this, this underground revolution of sorts. You know, it's, it's not to be forced on anyone. The spread is slow, person to person. That's how Jesus did it. Person to person, town to town, group of people to group of people, and it spread its fingers, okay? That's what it does. And, and you and I, if we are believers, we are living out that good news of Jesus in our own very personal, very relational ways. So that when people look at us in this culture that we live in, when they look at us, they will slowly perhaps begin to realize that we are, we're not approaching those things like everybody else is approaching those things. We're not, we're not getting so bothered about those issues like everybody gets bothered about those issues. We, it's like our lens is different. We're seeing things differently than our culture is seeing them. Because we are seeing each person individually through the lens of Jesus. We're seeing them as these people that are knit together made in his likeness and image, loved with grace. We're we're seeing, thank you, yeah, right? We're seeing these people. We're seeing them and we're saying, you and I, we are knit together of the same stuff and Jesus came for all. Uh, that's That's what we see in John 3, 16, right? We see, for God so loved the world 
That, that Greek word for world is all the people, whether you believe in him or not. Jesus came for all the world. That's who he is. If you will, please join me in prayer. Most glorious God, uh, we, are so, we are so little when it comes to you. We, we don't, you're so big. We, we truly, everything that we say about you, we're missing it. We're missing it a little bit. Um, but Lord God, we, we trust that you are the God that is merciful and good and that sees us. Scripture says you are the God that sees. You are the God that hears us. That is so unfathomable to our brains, but it is true. Lord God, you were just as much with Paul and Philemon uh, 2,000 years ago. You were just as much with them as you are with us right now. And the challenge is the same as well. We are still called to look at the people in front of us as those people that are equals, that we want to rain down the love of you upon. That calling is still the same. Lord God, help us do that. Help each one of us do that um, with boldness, with confidence. And I ask you to bless this table before us as we enter into a time of celebrating what your son did. I ask that, that we tangibly feel that spirit that scripture says has hovered around us from the beginning over the waters. I pray that we would feel that. And it is in your glorious son, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he would speak to his friends in that upper room. Um, But what's funny is that before that, you see James and John who were like, they were very close to Jesus. They were very good friends with Jesus. You see them come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, when, when you enter your glory, whatever that looks like, like, can we be the ones that sit on either side of you? And um, Jesus answers them. And then the other 10 disciples find out that they asked that. <laughs> and they get so mad. They get so mad. Because that hierarchy, right? Like, can I be the favorite? Can Okay, so they're so mad. And so this is what we see in Mark chapter 10. We see Jesus and Jesus calls them together because he knows there's tension. He's like, we gotta take care of this guys, okay? So he calls them together and he says, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles in this world, they lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. It's not to be like that with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave. It's the same word in Philemon, a slave to all. For even the son of man did not come to be served. He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
That's why Jesus came. He said, I'm coming to sacrificially serve and, and submit to you and help you. And so when he says to his disciples, follow me, that's what he means. He's like, do, do that. That's hard. But that is the calling. Do that. You don't have to do it in huge ways. Just do it with the people right in front of you. Help them. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was sitting with his disciples. All of them were there, and maybe even more so. And he took the, um, the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body. It's broken for you. Whenever you eat of it, do this in remembrance of me. They didn't get it. They were like, what is he talking about? Then he took a cup and he said, this is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. When you drink of it, do this in remembrance of me. He said, whenever you eat of this bread, whenever you drink of this cup, do this as remembrance until the day that I come back. And he's coming back. He's coming back. As we celebrate communion today, we are not post-COVID, but we are opening up the table a little more, okay? So we haven't done this in a while. If you're joining us online, go grab a cracker, go grab some juice, okay? But if you're here with us, you're going to have some options today, okay? Um, so on my right and my left here, we have the little, the cups of juice, we have the bread. So you can come forward, you can, you can take that and take that back to your seat. Or we will have servers up here with juice. This is grape juice, grape juice and bread. And you'll take a piece of bread and you'll dip it into the juice, okay? Um, and when you do that, if you feel so moved to do that today, you are saying, like the disciples, I'm not totally sure what this means, <laughs> but I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that in obedience. I'm gonna be obedient because Jesus is in it. He's in all and through all and above all. Let's pray one more time for me. Lord God, again, I ask you to bless this. Your spirit can say whatever it wants to say to each one of us in whatever way you want to say it. It may have nothing to do with, I, with what I just said. <laughs> you, you can say whatever you wish. Lord God, I thank you for these people. I thank you for the servers who are about to come forward because they are servants of you and we are grateful for them. And it is in your glorious son, Jesus, that we pray, amen. Will our servers please come forward?